I want to take you to the book of Mark, chapter 11. Mark, chapter 11. And I uh, would like to begin reading with verse number 1. Then we're going to go over to Mark, chapter 14. You will find this same story in the same setting in similar language in the book of Matthew and also in the book of Luke. For the sake of time, we won't go to all three of those, but we'll read one of them and understand that each one of them uh, draws a picture to our mind of what happened on this occasion. Mark chapter 11 and verse number 1, it reads like this, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon, everybody say as soon, as soon as you enter into it. As soon as you enter into it. Now, I have to remind all of you that they didn't have Apple watches back then. All they had was a sundial. The Bible said the instructions of the Lord were that as soon as you enter into it, you're going to find a colt tied. And no man has ever sat on it, and you're to loose him and bring him to me. Everybody say, as soon as. As soon as he entered into the city, he found exactly what the Scripture said. <clears throat> and when they went their way, verse number 4, and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met and they loosed him. I could read the rest of it, but there is no need to. Mark chapter 14. We progress further into this story of events. Verse, four, or verse 12 of chapter 14 of Mark. <clears throat> They had now come to the time of Passover. The day of unleavened bread had come when they killed the Passover. His disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go ye into the city. Go in. To the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. The view was perfect. But as soon as you walk into that city, as soon as you get to that point, you're going to see a man carrying a pitcher of water. Follow that man. Sounds coincidental. Sounds a little freaky to me. But they followed him. And they found a man who had prepared a room for them. 
He was waiting. He was anticipating. He was looking for them to come. And so the story of the last week of our Lord's life on this earth in the form that he had been in is playing out. I want to talk to you this morning from the subject, accident or appointment. Say that with me. Accident or appointment. Which is it? Chance or fortune? Everybody said amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, do, his, do him a favor and help him preach a little bit today. You may be seated. The words of our text are much more suggestive to us than we can even imagine, and I hope that God will help me over the next few minutes to uh, reveal the story. You're going to have to go along with me because it's important for me to lay out the whole storyline so that it to us this morning. It was the time of Passover, and it was a very important time in the life of all of Israel. This particular Sunday, we have come to know it as Palm Sunday because it was the moment of triumphal entry of the Lord into Jerusalem, but it coincided with many other events that were of extreme importance to the Jewish nation. Jesus, knowing that his hour is near and the sands of time and his destiny are quickly beginning to pour through the hourglass, he sets in motion a chain of events that would bring him to Calvary. Events are about to go into warp speed. For three and a half years, it seemed that life has floated along for these disciples. But in the next week, there are going to be so many things that are going to happen and change in their life. It'll be like they were in a whirlwind. You know, we read it backward. We read it from a different perspective. And we don't gather, we don't feel the impact of all that must have transpired. But in a matter of seven days, everything that those men had staked their lives on was going to be turned upside down and everything that they had believed was going to be shaken. <clears throat> and so as they drew near to Jerusalem, and they were not alone, according to historians, there were probably somewhere in the neighborhood of two and a half million people that were trying to cram their way into Jerusalem in the, the, the crucifixion. That they counted on that particular Passover and there were 250,000 lambs that were slain for Passover. So you can imagine what must have been going on, the chaos. Has anybody ever been to the mall on Christmas Eve? You know what traffic is like down here at Christmas time. I mean, it's chaos. Well, it was that times ten in Jerusalem. There were people everywhere. Bumping into people, running into people, 
having to step out of the way of people. It would be very much like me taking all of you this morning and cramming you in this middle row and then me try to make my way through to the back door. Now, it seems like that in that particular moment, it was unheard of, the things that Scripture reveals to us that happened, but they did. And so he gives them some specific instructions. And he said, go into the city, and straightway when you enter into the gate, there's going to be a donkey tied. And I want you to unloose him and bring him to me. Now, understand, there wasn't just one donkey around Jerusalem at that time. There wasn't just one colt that was around, but there was only one at that place, at that time, at that moment. Amen. The only one that mattered was the one that they found it just as he had said. Just as he had said. Amazing that out of all of those thousands upon thousands of people and all of the other animals that were mealing and moving around in Jerusalem, that when they got to the gate and stepped inside the gate immediately, they found that animal tied that he had said would be there. And they took him, and just as the Lord had said, the master's going to ask you what you're doing. He's going to want to know why you're taking your, his, his animal. And for my interpretation of that is, I think this man had already been warned ahead of time. I believe this man happened to be a friend of the Lord's. I, I feel like he must have had some kind of connection. And long before this event took place, Jesus said, now, on this particular day, at this particular time, I'm going to need to borrow one of your animals. And I need you to make sure that it's in the right place at the right time. Now, he was asking, perhaps, because he wanted to make sure that the right people got it. You know, there's a lot of people that will come along and try to claim your blessing that hadn't worked as hard as you have to get it. And this is the way God operates. He's going to hang on to it until you get there. Because he's not going to give your blessing to somebody else. And so when they showed up, he gave them the animal. He said, go your way. Everything's fine. And so he goes. He sits on the animal. He rides into Jerusalem. There was the crowd that was crying, Hosanna. Time slipped away, and now it's getting closer to pass and prepare because the Lord himself observed the law of the Jewish people. And so he said, tell you what, I want you to go down to a certain place, and uh, when you walk into this area, when you go into the city, that part of the city, you're going to see a man carrying a water pot. When I read that, I had never noticed that before. But, folks, I want to tell you, men did not carry water pots back then. That was a woman's job. Now, God wanted to make sure they didn't miss their cue. And so in, there must have been a thousand or a hundred thousand 
women and children milling about and different ones with with pots on their head or on their shoulder. But the one that they had been designated to look for would be a man. You talk about stand out. God's not going to leave you clueless as what to do in a critical moment. And so they found it to be just as it was. They went into the city and they met a man bearing a pitcher of water and they followed him and they met the man who had prepared a chamber for the Passover meal and the last supper that we know of that he had with his disciples. How strange it is to me that God would hinge his eternal plan that God would hinge his eternal plan on seemingly random and insignificant events. What would seem to be, there it was. How strange it is that God would tie his life and his plan and his purpose to something that seems so risky. Risky. I mean, we're talking about something that was going to be hard to make sure the timing was right. Because they didn't have a watch to go by. They didn't have a timepiece to, to, to make sure that at the right second and the right moment they were where they needed to be. And yet God orchestrated all of it so that when they got there, they found what they were looking for. Perhaps the greatest lesson in all of this story is the reality that God never leaves anything to chance. His plans or your plans are never less to chance. There is no accident with God, only appointments. Amen. There are no accidents with God, only appointments. You say, well... I didn't plan on coming to church this morning. It's just an accident that I'm here. I I beg to differ with you. In God's eternal plan and in God's wisdom and knowledge of who we are and what we need, God set the stage so that you and I would be at the right place at the right time to receive what we need in our life and to give us what we have to have in order to go on in our life. When I read that this week, I was reminded of a story that happened long, long before this. It involved, that bears her name, but it goes something like this. Famine had come into the land of Judah, and Elimelech and his family were suffering from the the lack of food and substance. And so they heard that the land of Moab, was a land that was being blessed and there was plenty. And so Elimelech took his wife and his uh, two sons and they make their journey into Moab. And he and Naomi and Chilion and the other young man, uh, Malon, I think. Don't ever gripe about your names until you read names in the Bible. They go into the land of Moab and... The Bible said they continued there. There's a time frame of a lapse of years or months that passed and something tragic happened. 
Moab all of a sudden died. And if that wasn't bad enough, it wasn't long after that that these young men took wives of the native. They took wives of the Moabites. One young man married a woman by the name of Orpha. The other one married the young lady named Ruth. And then something mysterious happened to those men. They died all of a sudden. And so all that's left is, is, is Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, Orpha and Ruth. And so finally, Ruth or, or, or Naomi hears that God's blessing back in her homeland, and she's already suffered enough loss, so she says to these girls, I'm, I'm going to go home. And so they gather their things together, and they start making their way toward uh, Judah. And right before they cross the borderland, Naomi realized this is too much to ask of these girls. There's no future for them over there. I'm an old woman. I can't. And more sons. They would be too old to even marry them when they grew up. And so she stops and turns to these two women. And she said, you don't need to go with me. You can, you can go back home. I release you. You don't have to worry about any more obligations to me. And the Bible says that Orpha wept and kissed her and then turned back. But Ruth said, Wherever you go, I'm going. Wherever you lodge, I'm lodging. And Naomi argued with Ruth and reminded her that there's no possibility. There's really no future with me. I am a woman who has been cursed with death. And I am no longer the woman that I once was. Why would you want to tie yourself to someone like me? Maybe Ruth saw more than just what Naomi was. Maybe she saw what Naomi's God was. And that's why she stayed around. Whatever the case may be, they make their way back to Judah. And you'll find this story if they can pull it up. Ruth chapter 2. The Bible says they came back into their land. Verse number 3 is the one in particular that I want you to put up on the screen but they came back into the land. Now, I don't know if somewhere along the line that evidently Naomi began to share with Ruth the traditions of the Jewish people and the laws that God had given to their people, but somewhere there was a transfer of knowledge to this young woman named Ruth that when we get home, even though we're poor, even though we don't have a means of making provision for ourselves, God falls to the ground. They are not to pick it up and put it with their sheaves, but they're to leave it there for the foreigner and for the widow and for the impoverished so that whoever comes through the field, they can always find something to nourish themselves by. And so when they get there, Ruth, looks at Naomi and said, Naomi, somehow what you told me resonates. I believe what you're saying. So I'm going to go to the field and I'm going to, I'm going to gather up some handfuls of purpose is what they're called in the scripture. I'm going to go into the field and I'm going to gather up what remains. And she did that. And she was able to gather up a bundle and was able to thrash out enough wheat for them to get by. But this is what caught my attention. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap 
was to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the kindred of Elimelech. Now, the word hap in the Hebrew is the same root that is used in the English vernacular that is the root of happenstance or happy. And it has to do with something that would be considered an accident. Here is by accident a woman who shows up in a field and that field just happens to be the field of a kinsman redeemer. You have to just let me let my mind work today because this is the way it's been going over the last year. I'm looking at that scripture and I'm thinking about what all I read about the 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 the, the, the preliminary events that happened before Calvary and I'm looking at this and I'm thinking God that was no happenstance that was no accident that was a divine appointment that you have made. And she wasn't even aware of that. But God had ordered her steps. She didn't know it. She didn't even know what the land of Canaan looked like. She had never been here before. But somehow God directed her. No, go this way. Turn that way. Turn here. Go over this way. And somehow she winds up accidentally, according to what Scripture says, by sheer accident, she winds up in the field of the kindred. The man who can save her, the man who can redeem her, the man who can preserve her life. Now, my question is, was it an accident or was it an appointment? Was it just a chance or was it her fortune? Some people would consider this misfortune. But God took misfortune and took the miss out of it and made it fortune. He took what appeared to be some random movement of a woman and orchestrated it to bring her to the very place she needed to be for the provision that he had made for her salvation. What I'm, I'm trying to apply this principle to everybody, and I'm thinking, now, God, I know there's some people that probably wish they could be blessed, but they're not blessed. And, I, and there's some people that are praying for a miracle because that's the only thing that's going to get them out of the mess they're in. But what made her a candidate? Because not every misfortune is turned into a person's fortune. Not every accident becomes an appointment. Are you with me? So that you understand. I hope I'm getting through somehow. I feel like some, there's, there's a little communication barrier. Maybe it's my, my limitations. But I'm just, I want you to understand not, not everybody that has bad luck is that bad luck going to turn into the best thing that ever happened to them. I understand that. But my question was, what made her a candidate 
so that when misfortune happened to her, God could turn it and make it work for her good. What was it about Ruth that made her different than her sister-in-law, Orpha, who would go so far, but she wasn't going any further than that. There was a limit to her commitment. There was a limit to what she was willing to do. There was a limit to what Orpha was willing to go through. And she reached a limit in her life and said, I'm not dealing with this anymore. But for this woman who said, wherever you go, that's where I'm going, to Naomi. And even though Naomi didn't feel like she was worthy of anybody being connected to her, she was Ruth's lifeline to get her to the place. Now, my question is, what was it about Ruth that made her a candidate that God could take the bad that happened to her and transform it into the thing that would make her? That God would take the tragedies that had happened in her life and orchestrate them to bring her to a place that she would ultimately be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. That even as a Moabite woman, because she was willing to do certain things, God took those mishaps and he orchestrated them and he made them work for her good. And I got to thinking about that. What was it about her that made her a candidate? What, what was it about her that set her in the place of divine appointment? What was it about her that allowed God to take what appeared to be misfortune and make it her fortune? Or what looked like a mistake and make it a, 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 an opportunity? Or what, what seemed to be an accident and turn it into a divine appointment? And this is what I got to. It didn't just happen. It didn't just happen. It didn't happen because she was beautiful. It didn't happen because she was of a certain ethnicity. Her troubles had done a lot to her. But one thing had not failed in her life was her faith in what she had learned about her God. And so when I got to looking at Ruth, I they come back up, they come back up better than they were when they got knocked down. And then other people, when they get knocked down, they just wallow around and they're in, they whine and cry and bellyache and, oh, woe is me, and they never seen her. What is it about some people that no matter what the devil tries to do to them, they find a way to recover. They find a way to get back on their feet. They get back up. And other people that have the same or lesser things happen to them when they get knocked down. They never get back up. And the only thing that I could understand helped put Ruth in the place, number one, was she didn't make the right kind of connections in her life. She made the right kind of friendships. Sticking with the right people is more important than you and I think it is. Don't tell me that your connections don't have an effect on your life. Well, it doesn't bother me who I hang out with. Go tell that to the devil. You're not, you're not convincing me that who you hang out with, who you run with, is not going to have an effect on you. And Naomi somehow 
evidently determined that she was going to tie herself to somebody that had more to, to, to believe in than she did. And in her life, she tied herself to a woman by the name of Naomi. And she said, wherever you go, I'm going. In life, you will have the opportunity to choose the kind of people that you hang with. And you hear me, the kind of people you hang with will either make you or break you. And your spiritual life Or they will suck that life out of you What? Don't tell me it doesn't matter Who you run around with Or who you associate with The birds of a feather Do flock together And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you That there's a similarity between people And there's an attraction And somehow She was attracted to the right person The right thing And because she allowed herself to be influenced by that, it helped set her up so that when tragedy happened, God could take that tragedy and turn it into a triumph. That he could take that heartbreak and turn it into the making of her character and who she would be for the rest of her life. That was not only that, but the Bible uses this word in in chapter 1 of Ruth. It says that she stead fastly set herself she steadfastly purposed to continue on with Ruth her life was governed by more than just her emotions there's a great difference between her sister-in-law Orpha Orpha is the typical church person that her whole life is governed by what she feels or what he feels and if they feel good They are good. If they feel blessed, they are blessed. But boy, if those feelings ever fail them. You've never seen a face so long and so sad in all your life. You've never heard so much whining and crying and carrying on in your life as you hear from people. Some of the most... Let me start over. Orpha... Let everything in her life be governed by what she felt. And when she got to the border of Judah, those feelings began to fade. And the Bible said she wept, but she didn't go with Ruth and with Naomi. She turned around and went back to Moab. You never hear another word out of that woman. She disappears from history. But because Ruth connected herself to the right person and she didn't let her emotions govern, her emotions were telling her, this is a loser right here. This woman's got a curse on her life. I mean, her husband, her sons are dead, and you're going to stay with that? She learned how to live beyond her feelings. She learned to come to church and sit on the pew and raise her hands and praise God anyhow. Whether she was in a good mood or not, she still came to church. And whether she felt like it or not, she came to the house of God or he came to... I'm 
I'm doing a little meddling right now. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that if you want to put yourself in a place where God can take what seems to be accidents and turn them into divine appointments, then you're going to have to stop living by your emotion and stop living by what you feel and stop living by what they're telling you and understand that there's a steadfastness, there's a determination, there's a grit, there's a made-up mind that said, you know what? I don't care what happens in my life. I'm going to serve Him. I'm going to live for Him. I'm going to walk with Him. I will not. And not only that, but she was willing to follow no matter the prospect. The future didn't look too bright with Naomi. But she saw something beyond that. Her sons may be gone, but she said, I'm sticking with you. There's something to be said about a man or a woman that can keep serving God when everything around them is telling them that there's no hope and there's no reason for you to keep doing this. This is you. Look around you. Where's your husband? Where's your sons? And he gets up there and preaches about how faithful God is and how great God is. And he keeps his people. What about you, Ruth? What about you, Naomi? But she said, you know what? I'm not going to let my life be determined by outward circumstances. I am not going to let my life be governed by what I see with my natural eye. I'm going to let my life be governed by something spiritual, something deep, something that cannot be seen. I don't know what it is about you, or, uh, Naomi, but I can't leave you. I don't know. I can't even explain it. I can't even tell you all the reasons why I'm still here with you, but I'm not going anywhere. And Ruth stayed with her, a willingness to follow, even when there was no prospect of a future, even when there appeared to be no hope that her life would get any better. She's just going to die an impoverished and bitter woman. She said, oh, no. No, God's not going to leave me like that. God's not going to let my life end like this. God didn't bring this woman into my life for me to come to this point in my life and just die a bitter woman. And I'm going to tell some of you folks here, God didn't bring you to where you are so you could just die a bitter person either. And if you would open your ears and hear a preacher this morning and understand that God can take a disappointment and he can turn it into a divine appointment, that God can take a heartbreak and he can turn it into a heart make, he can take your pain and turn it into power, he can take those things in your life that you think make no sense and divinely orchestrate them to lead you to exactly where you need to be. In him. Praise God. Praise God. I got to stop. This is what I. I'm going to close with this one. I think this is one of the things that really set her up. For God's blessings to be upon her. That this woman. Was not afraid. To work. This woman put her faith to a lot of people that come to church and they sit on a pew and they pray for a miracle. 
But that's all they ever do. They don't raise a hand. They don't stand. They don't worship. They don't pray any other prayer other than, God, you're going to work it out. God, you're going to work it out. God, you're going to work it out. They never put their hand to the plow. They never get up and go do something. They never apply themselves. They're just waiting on God to bail them out. Well, I deserve that. I mean, look at what I've been through. Look at what I've had to suffer. God ought to, God owes me something. Not Ruth. When she got into the land of Judah, she turned to Naomi and says, Naomi, I'm going to put God's word to task. I'm going to put his word to the test. You told me that his word says that there's going to be sheaves left in the field that will provide for the impoverished and the, and, and the, and the foreigner and the poor. And I'm, I'm going to take that word and I'm going to go out to the field and I'm going to start laboring, working. Yeah. You know, work is a four-letter word, but it's not a dirty four-letter word. She makes a step of faith by going to the field and putting herself to work. She wasn't sitting around waiting on God to make a handout or come by with his provisions. And because he doesn't come today, I'm just going to stay in the same place I am. She said, no, not me. If God doesn't answer my prayer today, I'm going to get out in the field and work tomorrow. And the next day, and the next day, I'm going, to get, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to apply for God to do what He expects me to fulfill. For God to work it out in her life, she did anything and everything she could to make a way for God to do it. Some are waiting on a miracle to happen because they don't want to apply themselves. But don't tell me that faithfulness doesn't matter. Don't tell me that consistency doesn't matter because it was that willingness to go work that put her in a happenstance situation that became a divine appointment. It put her in an accidental meeting, an accidental field that she went into. But God said, this is no accident. This is a divine appointment, Ruth. And you're about to see just how good I am and how great I am and what I can do in your life. You see, when God gets ready to use somebody, He doesn't use them because they're good looking or they're wise or they're smart or crafty. He is looking for somebody that's working, somebody that's doing what they can to make their life better. Somebody that's not waiting for a handout, that's not waiting for somebody to pick them up, but they're getting themselves up. That's the kind of person God's looking for. The man or the woman that no matter what happens to you, you're going to bounce back on your feet. You're going to get back up. You're going to get back in the arena and you're going to apply yourself Come on, clap your hands to the Lord and give Him praise right now. And let's stand together. What is the criteria that God is looking for to turn your mishap 
into your fortune. For God to take a disaster and make it part of His divine plan. He's not looking for best dressed, but He's looking for someone who's willing to do whatever it takes to make it. Amen. He's looking for a man or a woman that no matter what life does to them, no matter how many times it knocks them down, they don't lay around and say, well, this isn't fair. God, this is not right. You're not not treating me like you're treating everybody else. But they get back up. They look around and they find a reason to go on. And they go on. There's some of you here this morning that have stumbled in your journey because you've let your emotions determine your relationship with God. You've let what you feel That's why you backslid. That's why you got away from God. That's why you became cold. Is because you let the things that were happening to you determine your perspective on life. And you let those bitter things that come in life embitter your spirit and affect your outlook on life. And God sent me this morning to tell somebody that it's not an accident that you're where you are. But it's a setup. I said it's a setup. It's an opportunity for God to show Himself strong in your behalf. It's an opportunity for God to roll up His sleeve and show you how mighty He is. He's looking for people who don't care who gets the credit as long as God is glorified. He's looking for a man. Oh, get this. i got to tell you this one. He's looking for the individual that will do what nobody else will do. God, I ain't carrying no water pitcher. Do you know what they'll talk about in the city social circles? If they see me, a man, carrying a woman's pitcher? I'm not picking that up. Why should I? carry that that's why you're still where you are if you can ever get to the place that it doesn't matter what you got to pick up if it'll help me get where I need to go if it'll bring me in in place with God's divine order if it'll bring me to that rendezvous of divine purpose it doesn't matter if I have to carry there's nothing that I'm unafraid or unwilling to do if God if God will use that to orchestrate and bring me to where I must be in His plan. Say, well, I'm not ever going to forgive them. I'm not ever going to let that go. I'm not ever going to leave that alone. And sadly, I have to tell you this morning that the only thing that an accident will ever be in your life is just an accident. Just a sad storyline but if you can ever get to the place that Ruth got that you connect yourself to the right people and you you're willing to do whatever it takes and no matter what life does to you to knock you down you find a way to get back up 
and you stick with, with God. You stick with that. Naomi represented God to Ruth. And she said, no matter what happens, Ruth, you're not leaving me. I'm not, or, or uh, Naomi, you're not leaving me. I'm not going to let you go from me. She was unwilling to let that slip out of her life to an appointment. God could, God could seem to be a tragedy and make it a triumph. I don't know why God sent me here this morning to preach this, but there's some folks in this building right now that happened. You don't understand how it all came down. You don't understand the fairness of it. You don't understand the reason for it. Explain to them. He just with that's tied a donkey. Bring him to me. If you'll just go into the city, as soon as you get in there. Thousands and thousands of people mingling around and one man with a water pitcher. When you see that man, you follow him. That's how God works things out. That's how he makes them work for good in our life. That's how he takes the seeming accidents of life and turns them into appointments. Amen. Never underestimate the power of obedience. Never underestimate the power of commitment. Never underestimate the power of work or connections. The door of divine purpose hinges on what seems sometimes to be insignificant acts. Just stepping out and coming to an altar and saying, God, I've got to have you today. I've got to have you. You've got to help me. I don't know how to deal with these things in my life. I don't know how to deal with this stuff going on in my mind. But you put yourself in a place where God can take you where he needs you to go. That divine destiny can be ordered for men and women when they show up. Amen. When they show up and say, God, here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. I'm not missing the mark when I preach to you this morning. I, I feel it. I know there's been a great adversity to my Message. I know that there's been a great struggle in many ways to keep us from reaching what God has planned for us. But your life is not an accident this morning. What has happened to you is not an accident. You may have suffered heartbreak. And you've gone through some things. And you may have... They don't have to be for no purpose. If you can keep yourself... In the right place with God, He can turn a happenstance into a happy chance. Amen. He'll take what seemed to be the worst thing that could happen and make it a doorway, a passageway into His glory. All the events of your life seem to be chaotic at times. But if you will be willing to obey Him, if you'll just be willing to submit yourself to Him and say, God, I want Your will done in my life, no matter what. God will take the worst of things and He will work them for your good. Right now, I feel the Holy Ghost moving in this place. If you're here today and you've been through hell, 
You've been through tragedy and loss. And they're seeping the right place with God. God will take that accident and make it an appointment. And if you're here today and you feel like your life has been a waste, I wonder if you'd just be willing as an act of faith. It doesn't have to be anything else. I'm not going to do anything to you. This is just between you and God. But it would be an act of faith that you step out from where you are and walk down to the front of this auditorium and say, God, I just want this to be a sign. I want you to see what I'm doing right now. I may not understand what's going on. I may not be able to to, to comprehend what's happening in my life or my family. But I'm coming to stand at your altar and tell you that you're still my God. And I'm still going to serve you. Just as an act of faith. I'm not going to come and pray with you. Nobody's going to come and bother you. And if there's somebody here right now, there's no rhyme or reason to it. But if you would just slip out and say, God, through the Lord, stand it. But I trust faith. It's, it's a statement of my faith, God, that I trust you. That you're going to lead me. That you're going to make a way. You're going to guide me through the chaos. You're going to take me to the right place. You're going to bring me to the right person. You're going to help God those things work out in my life. Even when it seems that everything has been lost and I have no reason to go on. God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. You're my hope. You're my salvation. Come on, somebody. Lift up your voice to him right now and say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. I may not understand it all. I may not be able to make sense of it right now. But I know that all things work together for the good. To them. To them who are the called according to your Everything, Lord. You can take everything, 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 all things. All of the things that have happened in my life. Instead of turning them into bitterness, you will turn them into betterment. God, instead of turning them into hatred, you will turn it into hope. Instead of it turning into resentment, it will turn into praise. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.